Welcome to the Behind the Bliss podcast, where Mary Scott Mercer and Rachel Autry bring weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey everyone, this is Rachel Autry, the co-host of Behind the Bliss podcast, and I am more than thrilled about this week's episode. I'm chatting with Thomas and I's friend, David Curran, all about money and finances. Yep, you heard me right. We're talking about money, which sometimes can be a super awkward topic with a lot of different people. So today we are diffusing the tension, talking all about what you need to know about budgeting, spending, savings, and just loving your money well. David makes some great points about how money isn't necessarily a discipline as it is a worship. So this reframe of money and spending and saving and giving being worship and kingdom centered seriously changed the game for me and I cannot wait for you to listen and it changed the game for you too. Let's get to it. Hey David. Hey Rachel. I am so excited to have you on the show. Fun fact, do you know that you're our first male on the show? I did not. Fantastic. You are the first man. So we're super excited to have you and to hear all the wisdom that you have to share with us today all about money. It's a big topic. So it's going to be a fun conversation. It is a big topic. But honestly, Thomas and I have gained so much wisdom from you just chatting about finances and budgeting that I really wanted to be able to share what you have to say with all the people. And I thought this was the best platform. So if you're listening, you're in for a treat because there's tons of information going to be just completely condensed into 45 minutes. So before we actually start diving into things, I want to just briefly chat about the fact that money for me growing up, for some reason, had this weird tension on it. Like anytime I had to ask my parents for money, I got tense. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean. My parents were split. And so I really had two different money experiences growing up. And with my dad, I knew that he was calm and casual about money and confident. And so I could be the same way with him. But honestly, with my mom, um, who was single and still still is, it was a different experience. I knew it was a stressful topic for her. And so I definitely caught that same vibe anytime, you know, money came up in a conversation or yeah. I'd avoid talking about how much a, a youth trip was going to cost mm-hmm. um, just because I knew that it would stress her out. Yeah. But why do you think that money can sometimes be a shameful or tense topic? Well, I think it it gets attached to a sense of validation and yeah. it, it does open doors. I mean, people know that. And so I think, you know, just using the example I just gave of both my parents, you know, I think for my mom, she, she knew that money was something that could either open or close doors. Um, and she would attach a lot of her worthiness as a parent um, incorrectly to that fact. So when Thomas and I were engaged and we were going through premarital counseling, we had one of the weeks that was dedicated towards talking all about finances. And I sweated so much through that conversation because it was the first time Thomas and I had opened up accounts, talked numbers, which I'm so glad we got to talk through it. And finally, afterwards, I felt the sense of freedom, you know, and feeling more relaxed and feeling like I could actually talk to him about my budget and what that looks like and what is it going to look like to merge our budgets and our accounts and all the things that come with marriage and sharing life with someone. Um, But like I said, there was a freedom that came with it. And so today I'm hoping, David, we can help people find maybe a little bit more freedom and undo some chains maybe that come with a conversation about money. So this is good. I'm pumped. Absolutely. 
Well, I'm too. And, you know, kind of even at the beginning to your point, there's so much secrecy and, and shame yes. and guilt that can come around the topic of money. And as we've seen kind of each in our own journey with Christ, like bringing something up in conversation into the light is one of the most powerful ways to just deal with very real emotions that don't make logical sense. And for me, when I got married, yeah. talking with my spouse at the time, fiance about money really wasn't stressful at all because I'd already done it with one of my best friends. Um, so just for anybody who's listening, who's, who's not at a place where they have a, a partner in life um, as a spouse that they can kind of have those conversations with, I would encourage them to find a best friend's um, that they can start that. And it will be super awkward, but I guess I was 20 when I just opened up literally everything I spent money on, how much I made, all that that looked like with a friend of mine. And he did the same. And uh, gosh, nine years later, like we still are in constant conversation about the state of our finances. And it's, it's now something that's exciting for us and nothing like it was at the beginning. Yeah. Well, it's all about vulnerability, you know, and as soon as you admit either you have a problem that you're feeling successful, that you might be too confident where you are financially, it can bring somebody else into your story, exactly what you're saying, to either speak into it and keep you accountable or to celebrate with you, you know, have someone that's championing you on. So that is brilliant advice. Thank you for sharing that. Going back to budgeting, you kind of mentioned that and what it looks like to bring in money and spend money. What specific or really even general advice do you have about budget making, regardless of what season of life people are in? Well, I think the first thing I'd say is it needs to be fun. I mean, if it's not fun, you're not going to do it. So if the word budget is already like a negative yeah, word for you, like just throw it out. You know, call it planning, call it prioritizing, call it dreaming with specifics. Um, whatever you have to. Budget's not a negative word for me, so I'm going to say budget during this conversation, but substitute out your own word for it. Um, and then continuing on that theme, making it fun. Um, one of the best things I did with my wife when we got married is we do our budget on paper rather than on a digital device. I love her. Okay, good. I was going to ask you if you have a tool, but paper, that's interesting. Well, we start on paper. I end up in a, um, in a Google sheet um, just because I am nerd and I like seeing <laughs> everything and running formulas and color coding the heck out of it. But I really wanted it to be a conversation with my spouse and she, um, she needed it to be fun and she loves color and she loves you know, the interactive process of doodling and drawings. So. Sweet Callie. I totally see that. Oh, absolutely. So um, I gave, we got a bunch of color pencils out and I gave her permission to make it look pretty and fun, like a, something you see on Pinterest. Um, and so that's just another good example of something that I think is true at any stage is whatever, like it's your budget. So you do what you need to do to make it fun and interesting and engaging. And that could look, I mean, literally thousands of different things. So people like me, who I'm totally like Callie, I love coloring, I love it being fun, but also as far as structure and making spreadsheets, yeah, that's not my forte. Do you have any tools or softwares or apps that you love or know of that could maybe keep someone accountable or like for me, I love apps. So that's what would make it fun for me. Do you have any at the top of your head? Um, I can definitely think of a few, to be honest. I just use Google Sheets and kind of create my own budget there based upon what we put on paper. Mint is, of course, one of the 800-pound gorillas, and it's yes. a great software. You can attach your debit card, your credit cards to it. It'll track everything. Um, it really can save a ton of time. 
It does take a little bit of maintenance, you know, to correct some of the auto guesses about what an expense category should be. Right. Um, Mint is one. For those later down the road with their finance, personal capital is a fantastic tool for looking at net worth in addition to just your expenses and income. And then something I would highly recommend people check out is something called YNAB. Uh, Y-N-A-B stands for you need a budget. And though I don't use YNAB myself, the concepts that they have in there um, really, I don't know if I could say transformed, but definitely accelerated um, even my own enjoyment of budgeting and how we do our budget as a household. So um, those would be some of the bigger ones, Mints, YNAB, and Personal Capital. There's a few smaller ones. Um, I think one's called Acorn, one's called Tilts. Honestly, the fintech space is a lot of fun, and you can learn a lot just browsing the top apps um, in the iTunes app store. Okay, good. These are all good to know. I'll add these all to my show notes so people can go back and reference them at any time. Um, And then I kind of wanted to cover the subject, or maybe even just say it out loud, that I think I grew up in a household where um, money was obviously necessary, like everyone needs money um, to put a roof over your head and food in your mouth, but um, it was more of a discipline than it was worship. And I love how you're making it this so much bigger than you need to. It should be a I want to as well. And so making it fun, making it easy and applicable and understanding it, no matter what that looks like, like not dumbing it down, but diluting it to what you need it to be is really feasible for everyone. So I love that. Also, I want to get your take on money as worship, like where we can serve the Lord with our money as well as logistically, but like where specifically can we make this worship and kingdom centered? Well, that's a fantastic question. I think um, to drive straight into to specifics, um, like you mentioned, tithing, of course, comes to mind immediately. And tithing is something that you just got to start doing. It'll never be the right time. It'll never be, um, you know, the sense that like, oh, I can do this easily. But if you just dive into it, it is incredible, the sense of joy and satisfaction you get from demonstrating a very practical dependence on God, you know, saying with your money, not just with your words, not just um, with your you know, heart on Sunday mornings, but with something that's so tangible, like I trust the Lord to provide for me and I'm going to give back in my first fruits to him and thankfulness for his provision. So um, diving in with that one is is great. And there's lots we could talk about with tithing, lots of different approaches to that. I'm not legalistic about that at all, but I think just starting is a big one there. And then um, I would say, honestly, like we talked about earlier, specifically taking the shame. I mean, shame is never of the Lord. Um, conviction is, absolutely, but shame and guilt are not. And so taking the shame and the secrecy out of the conversation around money is a specific way we can use money as a way to worship the Lord. This is so good. Okay. So another quick question, since we're talking about shame and guilt and that not being of the Lord and a lot of times just opening up my life transparently, any conversation with Thomas, I've had to go about it before in prayer. Um, not because I'm nervous and not because I don't know how he'll handle it because he's so loving and so gracious with me. But for example, if there's a big purchase I need to make, or if I went over budget on something or anything else goes wrong or goes great that I have to have a conversation with him, 
I have this nervousness about me and I haven't really identified it because I don't think it's shame because I'm not always quote unquote in the wrong with me approaching him about things. It might just be a simple question, but I'm nervous. And so I want to hear your take too, or maybe even practical things that you and Callie do when you have conversations about money. Do you have a monthly meeting, a weekly meeting just to keep in the know? Do you make it fun? Do you have it over a glass of wine? Like what do you do to make a conversation with your spouse or let's say the friend that's keeping you accountable? How do you have those conversations? How frequently should they be? I want to hear your secrets on that. Yeah. Well, I want to back up and just touch on what you said at first about the importance of spending time in prayer. I think in some ways that nervousness is a holy nervousness. Um, And the Lord cares a lot about our time. You know, he asks us for a Sabbath. It's one seventh of our time. And he cares a lot about our our money because he knows it's a trap. I mean, he knows that it's something that can just wrap us around axles, whether that's with debt and very real consequences or whether that's with greed and um, control, you know, heart issues. Um, And so it is absolutely something that I think should be um, bathed in prayer. And I mentioned the tithe earlier. That is an outward sign of dependence on God. But continuing in prayer over all your decisions um, as they relate to finances uh, is the next step, recognizing that all of it is his money and we're just stewards of it. Um, And when you've done that, you can enter into conversations with your spouse in a totally different frame of mind where um, you've already talked to the father about it and you've searched your heart. And now you can enter into conversation with your spouse where y'all are really coming along together to seek the Lord's will you know, for your income, for your life stage and what you're doing with your time and with your financial resources. And you're not challenging each other. It's not a um, a zero sum game. It's not a competition for who can get more money out for their priorities. It's a, let's look at this together for what we want to accomplish. And I think I would use that as a little bit of a segue to something that I'm huge on with, um, with Callie is, is we, everything is we. So if um, like I'm, I'm wanting to get back into golf, I played golf in high school and middle school, and I haven't played in eight or nine years. And so we are looking at how we can afford a new set of golf clubs for me. Um, mm, it's, that's so good. It's so important for these to be joint priorities, not individual priorities. Um, yeah, and it reframes your perspective on what what is the motive? Is it I can get what I want, or is it so that we can benefit and grow with each other? It reframes your perspective and it also literally doubles your joy. Like I don't care about clothes as much as my wife does, but when we work together to save up so she can have a new spring dress, I get excited at her win. And so for the mm. first time in my life, like I'm getting excited for something that really she's getting the benefit for, from. So when you reframe it as a we situation, Callie is going to be excited that I get this set of golf clubs whenever we're able to figure it out. And she'll have been part of the conversation. She'll have known what trade-offs I made. I went for a, you know, a, a newer set of the lesser known brands or the reverse. I went for an older set of a very well-known brands and she knows why I made the decision in that trade-off, even though she doesn't care about it at all. Um, but she's still, she's still part of that celebration and of that win. I think that's particularly important for younger couples like we are where you really are having to take resources um, as a whole and direct them in different places at different times, just because you don't have as much to go around. But it keeps it it keeps it together and it keeps it fun and it sets you up well. I hope we'll find out for the rest of 
the years ahead of you. I love it. And what you said before about it being not our money in the first place and it being the Lord's and he, and he's giving it us, giving it to us as a gift to steward, I think is beautiful. And I actually heard a quote that was hilarious, not scripture, just a quote, but it's hilarious. It says, the devil doesn't come dressed in a red cape and pointy horns. He comes as everything you wished for. And so I think if we wish for uh, riches or we wish for more in our budget or whatever, it can become really dangerous because like you said, it's a tool. It can either be a tool for us to grow closer to the Lord and to build his kingdom, or it can become a tool, like a really dangerous tool for us to find devastation and distraction. So I think, yes, what you're saying, reframing our minds, finding perspective and realizing, especially if you're married, it's a we thing, I think completely dissolves everything the enemy tries to come after us for in finances. Well, and it's not something you, you solve once. I mean, just just this morning, literally this morning, I was um, I was reflecting on the fact that I've been really focused. You know, it's summer. I'm at the lake right now with my family. There's some new toys we'd love to get. I've been very focused on the wish list. And I was remembering just this morning that my focus needs to be on what is what is the Lord wanting for me to do in this next season? And what are the resources and the plans that I need to be thinking about and asking for his help in to make that happen, which is such a different way of looking at it, of saying like, these are his resources. How does he want to deploy them? And I I do want to also add the caveat that I do not think that means a life of being a pauper and giving everything away. I think, um, I mean, I think scripture makes it clear that the father cares about our material needs. Um, The verses about worry say, listen, trust me and I will take care of your clothing. I will take care of your housing. Um, and it's something that I'm excited to see how that grows, you know, as um, as we continue, Callie and I do, to grow in our finances together. That's good. So what is your advice on finding the balance between living the life you want to live and being able to go on date nights and spend in the areas you want to spend, but also um, saving or what it looks like to live frugally? What does that balance look like? Well, I think it's going to be different for each person. And so I would say the first thing is be honest about your natural tendencies. Are you naturally a spender? Um, Are you naturally impulsive? Are you naturally a saver? Are you naturally a planner? And, um, And from there, looking at how are you balancing your own life? And if you're walking in health, um, then I think you almost go a little bit against your tendency. So for me, like I'm naturally somebody who loves to plan. I love to delay and I kind of look for the big ticket item. Um, I get excited about the bigger goals. Um, and and so I, I actually try to make it a discipline to more than I would on my own like to spend money on smaller things um, on a more regular basis, basically date nights. Um, and so if you're not in a place of health, and by that I just mean you know, if you're dealing with an addiction, if you are, um, if you're in a lot of debt, if you are um, just just kind of ping ponging back and forth, um, I would I would focus on gaining that balance um, with with really your whole life. You know, in that case, the money is just a symptom of where your heart is. But if you're walking in a place of health and stability, um, one of the things I would encourage is to identify what your natural tendency is. And lean a little bit in the opposite direction. Does that make sense? That's good. 
Yes, exactly. Because, and that's what's so fun about Thomas and I is we switch. So I'd say I'm not, I don't know how to say this. I'm not a spender sometimes, but sometimes (laughs) I am if I find the right thing to spend it on. And otherwise I'm a planner and same for Thomas. Like he, I think he's naturally a planner and saver, but other times finds a thing to impulse buy. And so we keep each other balanced, I would say, but this is so good to know. And just to be able to find the freedom and give each other permission and say like, Hey, it's actually okay. I think if we put a little bit more in savings this month, like let's take that step of faith or sometimes being like, Hey, I actually think it's okay if we go to date night, I think we can do it, you know, and finding the freedom. And I like, I like that rule. I think it's great. What do you have to say for people that want to be saving more if they are more of an impulse spender? Um, what kind of tool can they use to make sure they're keeping themselves accountable and maybe even find a bigger picture for themselves of why am I doing this? Like finding their why I think is very important, but yeah, I just want to hear your thoughts on people saving that might not be natural savers. Well, you identify definitely two big topics within that question. Um, the first you brought it up second, but the, the bigger one, the more important one I think is finding your why and really identifying what that is, is a journey. Um, and money is a symptom of your life, the way eating is, the way how you spend your time is. Um, and I think, you know, taking that for the Lord, having reflection, spending time asking, you know, friends that are older than you, that are more mature than you, you know, what their perspective is on um, why you might struggle in this area is is huge because there's usually a reason you can dig in and find that why that behind the scenes old memory that sense of not having enough when you were um younger and tracing that through to realize oh that's why i always make sure i have the latest fashion item um or fill in the blank situation to um kind of skip over that very large topic to some of the specifics um I would say if you've not found success yet in um, maintaining a focus on a specific savings goal, just switch up your tactics as often as you need to until you find one that works. For some, literally printing something out and sticking it on their mirror is a big deal. Like just seeing a visual picture every single day of that item works. Um, For others, it's more social. So having someone who is going to check in and hold you accountable and text you at the end of every month, how are you doing in your savings goal? Um, and a little side note on that one, I would pick somebody not in your physical proximity for that role. So if you have a good friend um, who is not in the same city you're living in, I think it's easier for that person to hold you accountable when they aren't seeing you every single day. Because it can get kind of awkward if you ask somebody to hold you accountable who then you go out to get drinks with on Tuesday and you can start feeling like they're judging you and watching every single, every single thing you're spending. Right. As opposed to somebody who's texting you from another city at the end of the month. And you know, you just know that they're just checking in on you. So two different ways. One's a visual way. One's a, um, a social way for me. Um, I play a lot of mental tricks on myself. So, um, it might be something where if there is something that I want to buy and, um, I'm not sure if I can justify it or, or fill in the blank. Um, I usually, I typically attach it to a savings goal. Um, and I can stay very focused on, Hey, I really, really, really want to buy uh, these concert tickets. 
but I'm not going to do that until I've saved three times the ticket price. Um, That's fun. So we do that all the time. I'm just, I'm big on games. So I make everything fun. I mean, I don't care if it's perfume, jeans, a jet ski, like we're going to find some sort of way to make it fun. Um, So, um, and as a general rule of thumb, I walk into every vacation with uh, twice as much saved as I expect to spend because I cannot stand feeling stressed financially on vacations. So the worst that defeats the whole purpose. Oh, it absolutely does. And particularly because my wife is not going to feel any stress at all on vacation. So I can double down on how much stress I feel because I'm stressing for both of us. And since we have started hitting that two times what we think we're going to need Mark, like, Oh, I, I just enjoy our vacations so much more. And Callie enjoys it more because I'm having more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. When you have these things that you have to save for, well, not have to, but you would want to save three times as much for, right? It's like the vacation or two times as much for the vacation. Or if there's something like perfume that Callie really wants and y'all are working that in, how is that different? How do you do that differently than if you just were saving 20% of your income? Do you add that into your budget? Do you make a new expense like line item for it? How would someone handle that? So I'll tell you how we do our budget real quick. We figure out our expenses. So groceries, gas, I mean, all the things that naturally you'd spend money on, right? And then we go ahead and we think through the month and say, okay, Christmas is coming up, right? It's only September, but we want to make sure we're not the people at the end of November going, oh no. So we are setting aside money for Christmas gifts, things like that. So I guess that could be saving technically for us. But say we're going, because we are, on a vacation in November and we want to practice this whole save twice as much rule, do you find somewhere in your budget that can afford to be a little bit less expensive? Do you try and find odd jobs? What does that look like? No. So yeah, basically like how do you, how do you, how do you handle the fact when you're trying to save for multiple things um, and you're trying to fit it all in? So, so savings is savings is delayed spending. You have when you when you earn money, you spend it, you save it to spend it later, or you invest it. So we're not talking about investings right now. We're just talking about savings. Um, and so within savings, you have to have a specific goal, in my opinion. Otherwise, it's just boring. Like who who gets excited about saving twenty percent of their money? nerds do right and like yes. i used to get excited about that and then i discovered how much fun life is and so now i have to have very specific things that i'm saving up for and so for example um i also love the snowball method because i'm just big on little wins and so um we're gonna look at typically i i look at it on a year a year-long basis you know but you can easily use smaller um timelines and say okay here are four priorities whether it's an anniversary trip it's Christmas spending, um, it's uh, our emergency funds, and um, I don't know, a nice um, present for Callie's dad's 60th birthday. Um, and we put all those together. How much is that going to total? How much do we need to save over the course of this year? And then we back, we back out from that total goal into the months leading up to that time. So let's say you know, you, you get an opportunity to go to uh, Ireland in um, October. Well, that's too close. We're in September now. Let's say October of next year. You've got 13 months. So all of a sudden that, that pops up, break that down and, and make the adjustments on the front ends, you know, contrasting the different things we're saving up for um, now, recognizing that it is delayed savings. 
And when I'm looking at that, I add it all up as a percentage of how much we're saving per month. And I do try to hit certain benchmarks. So like our goal is to save 50%. And, but I don't start off saying, okay, we're going to save 50% and here's where that's going to go to. I start off by looking at saying, hey, what do we, what do we, what do we want to do in the next 90 days? What do we want to do in the next 12 months? And then backing up to that and seeing where that falls and making adjustments, either being like, okay, it's probably unrealistic for us to do all of that in the next 12 months. Or to bridge into what you're suggesting, we can do this based upon our current income, but this extra $3,000 for us to take this um, you know, extra beach trip is, is going to have to come from somewhere else. So what, what odd jobs are we going to do? What side jobs are we going to pick up? And where are we going to save from? Does that make sense? Yes. And I love how you address savings as a delayed spending. I had this really funny, awkward conversation with my dad when I was little, and he he was a financial advisor. So a lot of what you're saying sounds really fun and familiar because it's what it's a lot of our conversations. And I asked a lot of these questions to him, but unfortunately now that he's not here with us, it's hard for me to get these questions answered. So I'm very thankful for you in this conversation. Even if it's never published, this is great. But I had this conversation with my dad one time and we had just finished a lemonade sale and he talked about how much now from my profits I owe him for getting the lemonade mix for me. (laughs) And then he talked about, okay, now let's set aside this cash for savings, this for tithe and the rest you can spend. And it clicked for me and that was a really cool real life moment. But then I asked him, I said, why am I saving this? Why can't I spend it now? He said, because there's going to be something later you want to spend it on. And you need to save it for those moments or if something happens, blah, 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 and explain savings. And so I said, but what if there's something now that I want to spend my savings on now? And he was like, well, there might be something better later. And so I think that initially that grew a fear in me because I would convince myself that if I saved, I'd never be able to touch it again. Right. And so this idea of savings is so that you can spend something and not be stressed out if an emergency happens, if there's something that comes up, like an opportunity that is a right here, right now, oh no, we did not save for this position. So I think, yeah, addressing it as a save now, spend later, instead of a save now, never touch it until you die and then it goes to your kids is so much more freeing, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. There's such a sense of loss. If if you, if you view savings as loss, you're probably thinking about it as that lockbox that you never get to open again. So good. Yes. I, 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 I get excited about savings because I know like I'm, I'm putting aside money to enjoy then. Later. It's yeah. It's different yeah. than like, um, I don't know. I just believe anticipation is part of the enjoyment. And so there's, there's, there's always a time and a place for a spontaneous date night, but it's just so much better when we put a date out on the calendar and we can look forward to it. We can anticipate it. And so it's, it's the exact same thing with your money of saying, okay, I'm going to put money down range later on the calendar to enjoy then. Um, and I just love the phrase, be kind to your future self. Um, and there's really, there's really two different things we're dealing with here. You don't want to be a miser who doesn't live in the moment and enjoy the moment. Um, but you also don't want to be a pauper in the future. And I think, um, you're talking about that lockbox mentality that can definitely get you stuck. Um, and it's similar to kind of a poverty mindset that, you know, or a scarcity mindset, like, Oh, I've got to have this now or buy this thing now. Um, mm-hmm. and one of the best antidotes that I, cause I used to deal with that. One of the, 
the things that helped me the most was I started just saying, just practicing saying this one phrase. Well, if I don't get this one, there'll probably be another one later I can get then. And like just saying that over the years has really helped me. And I still say it pretty regularly. I mean, we were looking at, um, again, we're at the lake. And so we're going to jet skis at the showboat room. And I would love, I've wanted a jet ski since I was six and on and on and on. And I'm looking at one and it's gorgeous and it's on sale, but we don't have the money for it now. It's like, oh, that's okay. I can't get it now. They're going to make more later and I can get one then. And just bringing, Mm -hmm. that's where we go. I said earlier, you know, bringing out the conversation into the open and recognizing that it's, it's an emotional truth that I got stressed and nervous and like, oh, but I have to have this one. But then when I brought it out in the open, I could say with some logic and some clear thinking, ah, but there'll be one later that I can get then. Um, so yeah, the delayed spending is definitely how I view savings and I view investing as kind of a separate conversation in a separate pot. Yeah. That investing could be a completely different podcast, I feel like. I love the idea and that's probably something I'll cling to and take away as a golden nugget from this conversation is savings is yeah it's the discipline but it's not so that you're losing something now so you can treat your future self absolutely absolutely and you know in terms of um you know emergency savings and kind of the rainy day savings um honestly you do that once and you never have to worry about it again and that's what got me through setting up my emergency fund um and and that's savings in case of emergency which is a better way of calling it in my opinion than an emergency fund um you know, so just a little note, like, I, I definitely think that's where you need to start. If you haven't saved up in emergency funds, um, talk about being nice to your future self is just get through it once. You know, it's like taking the ACT or the SAT, like, get it done and move on. You never have to do it again, Lord willing. Yeah. And I will say emergency fund, number one tip for people getting married. That should be like your number one financial goal, in my opinion, when you get married, if you don't already have the savings fund. I'll tell you a funny story. Actually, when we were in California last summer, we decided to go to a John Mayer concert, one of those treat yourself moments, but it was in Sacramento and we were driving from Etna, from the ranch and halfway there, our AC went out and it was 107 degrees. I'm not even kidding. That's what our thermostat said in our car. And so we had to continue our drive with our windows down, but it was just as hot, if not hotter with the windows down because it was so hot outside. And, um, we get back from the concert, obviously, and we go to get just a a quote on how much it's going to get fixed. And it was $600 and $600 is a lot of money to newlyweds one and two for something that you're spending on your car's AC. It's not a dream position. Like I did not want to spend money on my car's AC. You know, that's not something I ever want it. Yeah. But, um, we were so grateful that we had that emergency savings fund where we could pay one in cash. So we didn't have to worry about debt. And two, we didn't have an argument about it because we had already set aside that money for moments like this. And so we had the permission to spend money on it like very many months in advance. And so it was just a time that we could honor ourselves and it really sucked. I don't know what other word to say it. I mean, no one wants to have to spend money on that, like we said, but it was a celebration too, to look at each other and say, we did it. That is what that was for. It's amazing. Absolutely. And how much better is it doing it that way than having to sit there and decide, okay, are we canceling the anniversary trip or are we canceling your hunting weekend or are we canceling my girl's trip? Like who's fun? Oh, and then someone's going to get mad. Oh, I would get so sassy. 
but we didn't have to. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, it was a shared. It was a shared win. Like it was a it was a shared problem and a shared win. And neither one of y'all had to sit there on the side of the road debating about whose fun priority was going to get axed because of this unfortunate and not fun necessity. So an unplanned. I could not yeah. be a bigger fan of having those in place. They just they lengthen your life because they help take away some of just the the practical stressors that will come your way. Um, if you haven't had to deal with them yet, you will. We, Rachel. I say buckle up. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but literally this summer, so two weeks ago, driving away from the ranch, we got to Barrica. Um, our car's thermostat was in the red. Our radiator had blown. So no. um, $1,800 later, we were back on the highway. Um, no. Exact same situation. And if that had been five years ago, um, yeah, I wouldn't be able to afford it. But hey, we we actually have a car maintenance fund. And so we didn't have to tap our emergency fund. We just tapped the car maintenance fund and took care of it. Now we're going to add that back in to fill fill that fund back up over the next few months. Um, it was an annoyance, but it was an emergency. And that's the nicest thing about having those, those layers of security in place, um, which actually was one of the ways I got Callie excited about saving. You know, she, she really wasn't excited about saving. It's just a weird concept to her and she just couldn't get her head wrapped around it. And I was talking about that. Like, don't you, don't you love feeling secure and safe? And she's like, of course, you know, don't you love like big sweaters? Like, yeah, well, emergency funds are like really big, comfy, oversized sweaters. Like, yeah, like a marshmallow jacket. Oh, absolutely. They, they just, they keep the cold out and the warmth in. Like you, you want them and you want them as big and comfortable as you need. Well, I am curious to know if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation, anything else you wish people knew. I meant to mention it earlier, but one of the best tips I could also say for couples, or really anybody who's kind of engaging this dialogue about money with somebody they trust, is is not having too many conversations about it. So um, we talk about money only on Tuesday nights. And that um, popped in my head when you talked about one of the best tips for newlyweds because I got that tip from, um, from somebody else and it has been huge because I love money. I could talk about money all day, every day, but that is absolutely not how Callie views the world. And, um, so talking about money as a couple every Tuesday, it feels like a lot to her and it feels like not enough to me. So it's probably a good sign that it's a good compromise. Um, so I definitely want to encourage anybody listening. Like if, if you are the person who's always talking about money, like you probably need to tone that back. And if you're avoiding the subject at all costs, like you should probably put some discipline in the same way you'd schedule a haircut um, to schedule time to talk about money and make it an appointment. Um, And that's another tip. I make it an appointment. Like it's on a calendar because I never skip something that's on my calendar. Um, So if it's something that you find yourself, you know, skipping, do whatever it takes um, to get it in the system in the way that, that you will talk about it. And, um, and like you mentioned, if you need some wine, if you need some uh, colored pencils, like whatever it takes to make it fun, definitely, definitely follow those, those paths that are most natural for you. That's so good. One more question. I think a lot of people love this one. We ask at the end of all of our episodes with all of our guests, but what is one thing you're loving? It doesn't have to even have to do this episode. What's something you're reading, maybe using at home that you think people would love to know about? Glad you asked. There's a book called Personalized Diet. I just picked it up and I'm obsessed. 
Oh. Personalized diets. Okay, Mary Scott would love it too because she's all things foodie and loving your body. So this is probably for her, for sure. Oh, it just came out in December um, as a book form. It was published by some uh, Israeli scientists. And they it's the first of its kind study looking at a thousand participants um, and how they respond to different types of food, how their, how their blood glucose levels responds. And fairly shockingly, everyone responds differently. There are, you know, I don't know how much, are you a foodie, Rachel? Do you like to cook? I love to cook. Yes. So, you know, like artisanal bread from natural yeast, sourdough, just wonderful homemade bread. Imagine that, right? Obviously that's so much better than store-bought white bread, wonder bread. Totally. In study, um, yeah, on the whole, more people responded better to the artisanal bread. But there was a meaningful number of people whose blood sugar responded better to the store-bought white bread than the artisanal sourdough, which is what? shocking. Yeah. And one of the authors of the study found that his blood sugar does not change a lick when he eats ice cream, but it spikes when he has brown rice with his sushi. So, I mean, it's fascinating, this concept that, like, there's not a diet. You know, you read all these books, like, this diet, that diet, eggs are bad for you, eggs are good for you. Alcohol is bad for you, alcohol is good for you. Coffee is bad for you, coffee is good for you. Like, you know, this is really perhaps, like, totally going to change the game to recognize that, like, everyone is an individual with a unique response to all kinds of different food. Um, And so I'm just big on personalization and customization, um, whether that's with with money and now with food. So um, that really fired me up to get excited about like, okay, what does it look like to build the best diet for my body? Not just my personality, but recognizing that like my little chemistry is different than, than someone else's. That's so intriguing. I'm going to have to go ahead and look at that book on Amazon or something. And we'll also put it in the show notes so people can go and access it later in case they forget the title. So good. And then I also want to make sure that people know that Money is a topic that you're really good at, and it's actually something that's about to become your full-time profession. So let's say someone listened to this conversation and wants more specific, customized information from David Curran. When can they start coming to you, and what does that look like for your future? Yeah, so when and where. So starting in January, I'll be doing this um, full-time on my own as a financial wellness coach and um, really wanting to work with people to look at their complete money picture. Um, not just their savings, not just their investings, but their, their expenses too. So, um, so yeah, my email is davidbcurran at gmail.com. And, um, this, uh, this January I'll be launched into that full time and I'm excited to get to meet with people and get passionate with them about, um, kind of designing their future and how money can help them, help them get there. Amazing. Well, I in particular, am so, so grateful for all the wisdom that you shared. I know for sure I took away lots of nuggets. I'm taking notes as we speak. So I'm sure other people are feeling the same way. So I just wanted to honor you and thank you so much for being here and taking time to share all of what you know about finances with us. Yeah. Thanks so much, Rachel. Pleasure to be on. Anybody else leaving this conversation feeling so much more free, understood, a little bit more practical applications and less stress because I definitely am. Like I said, I've been taking notes this whole time. We'll definitely be re-listening to this episode to get more nuggets out of it. But hands down, David was awesome. 
If you want to go back to any of the resources, books, and apps that we talked about today, you can head over to BehindTheBlissPodcast.com, click on our show notes, and find today's episode for all of the links. If you loved today's episode just as much as I did, we would love for you to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. A review can take as short or as long as you want, but we would love to hear from you regardless. We want to know what you're thinking, what you want to hear, what you thought of today's specific episode, anything you'd like to change about the podcast. We just want to hear from you. And for the people that have left a review, have reached out to us on Instagram, Facebook, email, you name it. Thank you. We feel so loved and so spurred on. We have had so much fun with this show. Being able to produce it, being able to find guests for you, have these conversations, and just bring vulnerability into the room, it's a dream job for sure. And it's so fun to see on social media that you all are loving it too. We love when we see that you're sharing our show on social media with your friends and family. And if you wouldn't mind, if today's episode or any of the other episodes have been fun for you to listen to, how about you share it with your friends? I don't know about you, but I'm a podcast girl, and if you're here, you probably are too. And a lot of times when I listen to podcast episodes that speak to me, another name is popped in my head of a friend that should probably listen to it too. So if there's a friend that popped into your head about today's episode or any other episodes we have published, would you go ahead and screenshot it and send it to them? Or you could even share it with all of your friends on social media. We can't wait for more people to feel met in their mess and balanced in their bliss and the kingdom to be expanded. You sharing it with your dinner table, your sorority sisters, your kids, your parents, your friends on social media, whatever it is, we are so grateful for you and everything that you're doing to champion us on. You guys are the best and I can't wait to see you next week.